Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. Today I'm joined by Keg of the Magpies Channel TV. Keg is a match going Newcastle fan and is one of the hosts of the Magpies Channel TV. Keg, thanks for giving me time today, mate. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Not a problem, mate. Pleasure. Anything. Okay, so a uh, massive Newcastle fan. Where were you born and how did your love for Newcastle begin? Uh, so I'm from Northumberland, from a small town about 10 miles north of Newcastle. So not in the city centre, but we're all Geordies up here. We're all like, you kind of get that reputation, I'm sure, like down south, you kind of know Newcastle as a, a one city, one club kind of place. Like everyone's crazy for football up here. So it's kind of like not really a choice. Like there's not really a moment I can think back of in my life where I thought, oh, I like Newcastle. I think I'll, I'll be a Newcastle fan, you know what I mean? Like, like your, your parents, your grandparents, your uncles, cousins, friends, your neighbours, everyone's a Newcastle fan. So, you know, it wasn't a choice. I think it's kind of a bit of a cliche, but it's kind of in the blood that you're kind of born with us. It's a bit of a disease, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I think as, a, as, a, as a football fan in general, though, I think I prefer that because... You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that, you know, kids growing up now and they kind of support Chelsea even when they were mm-hmm. more than being dead good. City are more like that now. I think a lot of people have more respect for those sort of teams, don't they? You know, being yeah. family. Um, so I think, that, I think that's what I love about Newcastle anyways. Um, so your first match that you went to, do you got any memories from that? Going up the stairs for the first time? Not those kind of memories. No, uh, I, I remember the game. I've, I, I usually collect all the tickets. I've, I've got a pile of tickets from games that I've been to over the years. Like I'm 28 years old now. My first game, I was six. It was back in 1998, a European Cup game against Partizan Belgrade. I don't remember going to it. I remember it being a very dark night, a very cold night up, at, up in Newcastle, as it always is. Okay. Uh, yeah, like not really much of the game. I remember sitting there being absolutely freezing with me dad. Uh, I remember the the local hero song, like the full-time song coming on the Tannoy afterwards. And that's about it, really. I can't remember much of it. I remember we won 2-1 against Partizan Belgrade, but that that's literally it. Unfortunately, I wish I could remember more of it. So, is there any memories you've got from when you were younger and maybe going into your teenage years that you, that you can remember standing out? Sorry, you broke up a little bit there, mate. Have you, have you got any memories from going through, you know, being a child and going as a teenager? Have you got any memories that stand out, any particular games or moments? Uh, I think one of my earliest memories, it might have been my second game, actually. I think it was a... Uh, Another European game, I think it might have been CSKA Sofia. It might have been that same season, I can't remember. But I'm sure we got beat and lost on penalties. And it was that same song, the the local hero song, the the Mark Knopfler song that came on over the Tannoy. And I'm sure we lost on penalties. And I remember thinking it was like a sad song. So I just remember crying that we got beat, like like listening to this song over the Tannoy. Like that was one of my earliest memories. I said the first game, the Belgrade game, I can't really remember. But yeah, I remember crying, losing on penalties to say SKA Sofia, and yeah, like that. They're probably my earliest memories. I can't, I can't remember the first goal I remember seeing. That I know, looking back on it, that it was a Shira goal. I, typically, I'm kind of pleased that it was a Shira goal. Uh, any other memory? Honestly, it's really so vague because I was so young, going from six, seven, eight years old. 
yeah, there's not really much I can remember from like me early, early days. I think most of the games that I used to go to were like midweek games, like on a, like, like, yeah, like the later games, like European nights, cup nights on a, a Wednesday, Thursday, when me, me dad could take us really. So uh, Shearer then, was he your hero growing up? Sorry, Mike, the signal's a bit dead. I don't know which end so, of it is, but... I can't when you were grow, growing up then, Shearer was your, your hero then? For, I imagine most, most Geordies had Shearer as a hero. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. He was, he was the guy. He signed when I, I was just young, 96, I think it was. So, yeah, I was, I, I was a baby. I can't remember him signing, but, yeah, we, we grew up with him for over 10 years. He was the guy, like the local hero. He, he, he was just everything. He was just everything of this club. But I was fortunate enough to grow up in a time where Newcastle were actually good. So, like, I had quite a few heroes growing up, like like David Ginola, Les Ferdinand, people like that. And then going through the Keegan era, through the, the Bobby Robson era with the likes of Kieran Dyer and players like that. So, yeah, I was, like, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up with a, a pretty good team, like <laughs> a bit of a reverse to how it's been over the last 10, 15 years. <laughs> that was a fantastic team. So... <laughs> You're part of the Magpie Channel TV now, which is dedicated Newcastle uh, fan channel. How did that come about and how did you get involved into that? Uh, well, the channel started up about three years ago. It was uh, my, my friend and me partner on the channel, Matty. He set it up with a lad that he used to work with. It was his idea. He was just looking at fan channels how they were on the rise. Basically, he looked at like Robbie from AFTV and just seeing how successful he was and like how... like popular fan channels were becoming. And I think there already was one or two Newcastle channels at the time, which we didn't realise. So Matty seen it like as like an opening in the market. He's like, well, why is there not a Newcastle channel? Like everyone else has got one, so I'm going to make ours. So Matty started it up. He had the idea with a lad that he used to work with. The two of them set it up together, uh, ran it for a couple of months. Like it was going pretty well within the first four or five months, I think it was. But the guy that he did it with, uh, met a girl and moved out to Manchester, got a job down in Manchester, so left him on his own. And being like a fan channel, you need a couple of bodies, at least like a cameraman. So that's kind of how I stepped in. Like it was, it was good timing, actually. It was about December time, Christmas time. I left my job to go travel in Southeast Asia. So that was like a, a two-week period between Christmas and New Year where I had a bit time off. So I filled in just to be the cameraman. Then after my holiday, after I'd been traveling, I came back and just started doing filming podcasts and it just went from there, really. There wasn't really a moment where I thought, I'm going to join the Magpie channel. Matty never really officially invited us into the Magpie channel, but it's like two and a half years later, I'm still here, a football blogging award later, and the channel's going from bit to bit. So yeah, we're, like, we're partners in this now and just working every day on building it, making it better. Fantastic. So with, with Newcastle then and with the channel, did, it, did you find it quite easy with the Newcastle fans? Because I can imagine they're very opinionated and obviously you've got a lot of topics around the club. Is it quite, mm-hmm. is it quite easy working with the Newcastle fans? It can be. Like, it, it, is, it is a very mixed opinion kind of thing, fan channels. They're, they're obviously not everyone's cup of tea and we don't pretend to make everyone like it. Like, we know that we get a lot of stick on social media, as I'm sure every fan channel does. But, you know, like, we, we do get a lot of good things. Like, people don't really say things to our face. It's mainly over social media and stuff. Like, when we see people at St. James's or in the city centre, it's a lot of love. Like, if we ask people to come on 
share their opinions. Most people are willing to do that. So yeah, like we, we get we get good good feedback when we're at the grounds. Like particularly on away days as well. Like every time we're away, we get recognised like crazy. It's like we're fucking Ant and Deck rocking around it. <laughs> like, like it's mad. Like remember we were at Old Trafford last year. We literally went through the gate and everyone was like, "Oh, Magpie Channel." It's like Jesus Christ, <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> So, uh, being a Liverpool fan myself, I did do Newcastle away in 2016 when uh, you beat us 2-0. Genie Wijnaldum scored two. Mm. And uh, I've got to admit, even though we got beat, it's one of the best away's I've ever done. You know, mm-hmm. the ground's amazing. Even the people in the city were brilliant. And um, I was in that Sam Jacks before the match, and that, that was some... <laughs> some, uh, some <laughs> yeah. uh, I probably can't say on the podcast, to be honest. <laughs> Dead good atmosphere. And um, it just felt like a proper football city to me and I think that's why it resonated with me so much I've got a bit of a soft spot for Newcastle to be quite honest mm-hmm. um, but do you get that sort of feedback from opposition fans? Yeah massively uh, I think we know as I mentioned before like it, it is kind of a, a nationwide reputation that we have that we're like a one city one club kind of place that we're crazy mad passionate fans up here and we love our club so like when I, I see like other YouTube videos like like uh, like the offsiders guys and like the side men and things like that when they do like a tier builder when they talk about like the best fans or best away days you know Newcastle is always going to be in the ultimate which is a massive compliment to us like we love hearing that feedback and we know that like Newcastle is one of the first away days that other fans look for like when can we go up to Newcastle when can we have a good piss up because like. It is. It's a good night out as much as anything. It's a good night out. It's a, it is a good family club, a big stadium. It's great atmosphere. So I, I'd understand, like, if I was from down south, if I was a fan of another team, like, I would want to do Newcastle away as well. Like, I'd, I'd love the night out. And sorry to break your heart, but next time you get back up, Sam Jacks is closed. I know I did hear that, you know. I was just <laughs> doing research and seeing that. I was like, oh. Yeah, it's done. So what away pubs have you got up there now? Oh... You know what it is? We don't really have away pubs. Mm. From like us doing away days, like you always hear like, oh, this is the away pub or it's on this street or get an address. But as far as I'm aware, we don't have one. Just we've got me. a few. Yeah, we've got a few that I would recommend not going to if you like your teeth. But <laughs> other than that, like, yeah, there's not like a designated away pub that I'm aware of. Like, yeah, it is just, it's yeah. just a friendly city. Like, we don't care if you come, we'll have a bit of banter with you, put our arm around you have a bit joke and that, watch the earlier game, the 12.30 kickoff, like, it's not a big deal, so, yeah, but that, there's too many pubs in Newcastle, I think I seen a stat about a year ago, saying that we've got more clubs within, like, it's like a 10-mile radius of, five, nah, uh, however many metre radius, like maybe it's like a one-mile radius of St. James's than any other team in the country by a country mile, I think, like, Chelsea are maybe the next one, and that's London. Like, Newcastle's got so many bars, like, in and around the city. Like, yeah, you can, you can just go into anyone and, and feel pretty welcome. Yeah, I did think that, to be fair. Because when we went into St. Jack's, it was like, there was loads of Newcastle fans in there. And you like, the drinking games and stuff. And it did. That's what I mean. That's what I liked about it. And that's why it yeah. me so much. Because it was just like, it wasn't like a moody place. It was just like, you know, everyone's just going to get along and watch the footy. And, you know, that's Sam. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what I would like about away days as well. Sometimes we try and go into any other bar kind of with that naive naive mindset that we welcome them into ours why wouldn't they welcome us into theirs but some some places I've been to like you can't get in if you're a away fan with the last football game I actually went to 
was West Brom away in the cup last season, just before lockdown. And we got told that there was this away bar. We walked for, <laughs> we walked for miles to get to it and they wouldn't let win. Well, like, fuck's sake. <laughs> you know I mean? There was only one bar that we were told we could get into and we couldn't even get into that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So I wanted to touch on the away fans being up in the gods at St. James's. Um, do you feel having the away fans up there and not close to the pitch helps the home fans create and generate an atmosphere and a better atmosphere? Because being that high up, I did find it was hard for us to generate an atmosphere to help the players and the pitch. Is there some sort of idea at the club behind that? I'm not sure. I, I think that must be just put the away fans up in the corner, keep them quiet. That must be the idea behind it. But there, there has been talk for, well, as long as I can remember, really five years or something to bring the fans lower down onto the lower tier to create more of an atmosphere. Like that talk's been ongoing for ages, but still hasn't happened. So yeah, I don't know what the club's idea is. There used to be like in the corner. I don't know if they were there last time you were there because now like they're, they're right behind the goal on the top tier. Whereas yeah. it used to be like the, the block across, like in the corner. So you were like sandwiched between Newcastle fans. Oh, sorry, you were uh, right in the corner. Yeah. yeah. So now they've moved them like across. So like, yeah, kind of like by like the glass window on one side. So they've moved them across, but not down. I, I don't know why. Like, yeah, I think Newcastle fans would agree that that would be a better way to go about it, bring the fans down. It, of course, it's better banter as well. Like, it's, it's always more fun being close at the away fans. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, like, we would be in favor of that. I had, a, I had a Wolves fan on not long ago and they've got obviously got that bottom tier, haven't they, where they spread you out and it, that, yeah. that's hard to generate an atmosphere because you're all spread out. And I, I do uh, think there must be some sort of incentive around the clubs to yeah. promote that and, and stop the fans being the... Uh, like the tactic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've been to a few big stadiums, like uh, did Tottenham away. They're, they're like right on the bottom tier behind one goal. Yeah. Man United's a big stadium. They're kind of like in, in the corner, but quite low down. Chelsea's the same. So, yeah, I don't know what the theory is with us sticking you right up in the gods because I've been up the level seven as well. It's an absolute nightmare. If you come all the way from like London or the South Coast to up in Newcastle and then have to climb seven stories, it's an absolute killer, especially if you've got a heart condition or you're a bit overweight. <laughs> you need, you need yeah. to stop, oh, stop off every floor. It's a killer. Ten pints in, I tell you what, it weird. <laughs> but then I, I quite like that. I thought it would, that made it. I think that made the trip and it made hmm. made that time out. So uh, no, I thought it was dead good. But um, so as I said, I do did Newcastle away and a hundred percent go back. Any ways that you've done that you stand out that you really enjoyed? Uh, Tottenham, as I just mentioned, was probably my favourite away day ever. To be fair. It was my first time at the Tottenham Stadium. We've only played there once, to be fair, apart from last week behind closed doors. So while fans could get there, there's only been one Newcastle away day at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I was looking forward to us. Like, we went down there with not really much expectation. Like Tottenham are the superior team. So we went down there just for a day out in the capital, check out the new stadium, maybe see a good game. That was about it. But the sun was bleaching down that day it was a gorgeous day the stadium surpassed expectations it's incredible if you haven't been I would recommend going and uh, we won <laughs> we got a surprise 1-0 win Joe Lint on with his first goal for the club so yeah it was the best away day I've ever experienced and it's probably going to be 
hard to beat that until we can get back into Europe and get back to Milan and Madrid and Barcelona and places like that. Do you kind of, obviously, Newcastle at the moment go into games with that incentive, you know, enjoy the trip and mm-hmm. you know, get a result, great. Um, you're probably more coming away from that more times now. But do you kind of, because I'm trying to put myself in your shoes as a Liverpool fan, you know, we kind of, now we go into every game expecting to win. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's great, obviously, to win, but the expectation's there. As a Newcastle fan, when you go and you win in places that you, you shouldn't expect to win, does that make it even better? I guess it does, yeah. I think it makes you appreciate three points more because, yeah, like if I was in your situation, the last two seasons, you've get, been getting north of 97 points. Yeah. Like you, you do just expect wins. You breeze through the Champions League a couple of seasons ago. Like winnings, like if you lost, you'd be absolutely foaming, like assuming a win. Whereas us, like yeah, like we take each game as it comes. Like, like when I was growing up in like the Kevin Keegan era, the Bobby Robson era, when we were the top four club, like the, to coming down to where we've been in the last 10, 15 years, just scuppering on the relegation zone, even down in the championship, like would take every, each game as it comes. Like even the teams like like a, a Brighton or a, a Bournemouth or something, you, like, you kind of expect to win. But certainly yeah. when we don't. It's just so frustrating. So when you when you do get the three points, like even like in the last couple of years, we've had big wins against the likes of Man United and Chelsea and Arsenal and things like that. And it just makes it all that sweeter. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great feeling to come away with three points when you, especially when you don't expect it. Yeah, but I, su- I suppose you as fans probably go and, and enjoy the away and everything that comes with the away day because you, know, you can't yeah. think about the 90 minutes and obviously like you say the expectations there so obviously you just mm-hmm. go and enjoy yourselves really and go and travel to these places where you wouldn't even go if it wasn't for the foot you would just so yeah exactly yeah like I, I enjoy away days like it is like one of the best parts about being a fan and particularly doing the channel you get to travel and see new cities new stadiums that you haven't seen before there's still many that I haven't done it's still on the to-do list, but when you go and experience somewhere like the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and, and all these places, like, yeah, it, it's, it's great. You can't beat away days, and like, say, even if you don't get the win, usually if you get hit on lucky, like get good weather, find a few nice bars, meet some new people, you know, it's, it, it's just fun, isn't it? So I wanted to dive into a few topics away from the match day now. Obviously, I'm sure everyone listens aware of Mike Ashley, the ownership of the club, and we all know, you know, obviously he doesn't care about the club or anything to do mm-hmm. with fans. But recently, it looked like there would be some new owners taking over, but that's been blocked by the Premier League. Um, how frustrating has that been as a fan to come so close? And do you think you'll get that opportunity again in the near future? Uh, well, it's massively frustrating, but also somewhat expected. Because we've been down this path before. It was, it was last summer that we had a supposed Dubai takeover. This year, it's been a Saudi, a Saudi Arabian takeover. But in the meantime, there's been rumours of Americans and Chinese and all these other people trying to buy the club. But I think we're kind of more hung up on getting Mike Ashley out of the club. That We're just kind of... We're just a bit vulnerable at the minute. Like we just want him out of the club so much we believe all this tabloid bullshit when 99% of the time it's not even true like we did that last year we had the Dubai supposed Dubai takeover it was leaked by Sky Sports News so everyone was getting their expectations up like it's going to happen it's going to happen but 
it was a fake story. It was it was Donald Trump fake news. Like it, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So th- this year, like we we feel like sometimes we've got a bit of a a harder core now. Like we've got a bit of a a hard outer shell that we're not going to get sucked into these kind of kind of rumors again. Like we've always got our guard up. But so when the Saudi Arabian takeover came through, I. I Honestly, I wanted to believe it, but I just couldn't. I just wouldn't let myself be suckered in again. But the, the harder the stories came, the more leaks there was. Uh, Sky Sports News saying this, that, and the other, and like it, it, it felt real. Well, I, I know it was real this time. The Dubai takeover wasn't, but the Saudi Arabian one fully was. So yeah, like the longer the the story ran on. I think the majority of were believed that it was about 99% done. Like all the papers were submitted. The deal was agreed. Mike Ashley was happy to leave. But it just went to that final stumbling block, which didn't happen. So yeah, we got left disappointed again. But I think Mike Ashley finally has kind of had enough now. Like I think he's toyed with our emotions for long enough. I think he's made with suffer for long enough. I think he's sick of it as well. Like I can't imagine being in his shoes at being very nice because he wouldn't be able to walk around Northumberland Street and Newcastle safe. He wouldn't be able to go within a mile of St James's Park without getting lynched. So like that, that can't be a nice feeling. Like people go down to his door and wherever he lives and, and like shout abuse at, like through his letterbox and stuff. Like he's got kids and stuff. So Mike actually just needs to do the honourable thing now and sell up. One thing that he has done in the past is he's always said he'll accept an offer if it's going to someone who's going to better the club which is great for, for us for him to come out and say something like that whether we believe it or not I'm not sure but we would like to think that he is going to leave the club in well it couldn't really be in worse hands but he's going to put it in someone who really wants to invest in the club and make it a better future so hopefully it's going to happen but we, we just can't be suckered into tabloid rumours anymore. Like, if it's going to be another four or five-month story that drags on and on and on, we just can't be asked for that. We just want it to be an overnight thing. The club's done. We can move on from Mike Ashley and hopefully see better days in the future. Has it, has it got to the point now with yourselves that you're not even too fussed about who comes in and takes over? You just want him gone? Because I kind of look at it and think, we had Hicks and Gillette that came in. Um, yeah. And it was in 2007, and they took over. And it was almost like, you know, they were saying the right things. They were starting to mm-hmm. spend money, but obviously we all know how that, how that went. <laughs> um, and then it got to the point when FSG obviously basically got us out of the rut that we were in. And it was kind of like, they're Americans as well, but, you know, we're just going to take anything we can get, you know, and if we can get the right owners, obviously that's perfect as well. Has it got to that, like, that point with yourselves where it's just like, just, anyone will will do and just get him out it kind of is or it was but now i think we're we're trying to be a little bit more ambitious even though like we might not even it's maybe a bit too much to ask but yeah like last year after the failed dubai takeover there was talks of uh peter kenyon coming in or trying to get a consortium i think he was trying to lead a takeover funded by someone else and say Mate, if you can't afford to buy this club, then what are you doing? Yeah. You know what I mean, like, like Mike Ashley's a bell end, but at least he's still worth a few billion. You know what I mean? Like, at least he can put money in where, where it can be. So sometimes you need to be careful what you wish for. Yes, we want Mike Ashley out the club at any cost, but it could end up more costly than it's worth, really. So 
I think once we had a taste of the Saudi Arabian takeover, we were already kind of spending that money. We were bringing Mbappe in and, and all this stuff. Like, we kind of still want someone good. There's been talks of, uh, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but some American guy uh, who's basically just meant to be the American Mike Ashley. Like, he was supposedly ready to step in once the Saudi Arabian takeover was officially dead. But it's like, do we want another Mike Ashley? Like, yeah. are we better off in Mike Ashley's hands just chugging along season after season instead of potentially giving it to someone worse? Or do we hold out for a Saudi Arabian, some absolute filthy rich bloke to come in and pump billions in? Like, it's, it's almost a catch-22. Like, what do you do? Do you stick it out with Mike Ashley and hope for a better day? Or do you give it to anyone who could end up being worse? Like, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a strange situation to be in but yeah we, we definitely want Mike Ashley out as soon as possible so as a fan base then obviously I touched on that Hicks and Gillette with us we, uh, that's kind of where we set up uh, the Spirit Shankley group to try and get them out and you know unite as a fan base to get them out mm-hmm. if you guys had anything similar have you got any like supporters groups like that and if you took any actions against it and obviously it must be hard to, to feel like you're doing anything but I think was it the was it last season or the season before that you a lot of people were going to stop doing the season tickets and kind mm-hmm. of stop doing that. Yeah, we've been trying for a good few years now, three, four, maybe it's even five years. Uh, there's a bunch of supporters groups, the NUST, the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, there's uh, the Magpie group. Like We've got a whole bunch of organisations. The Magpie group were kind of the leaders in this at one point, but... I think the NUST is kind of taking over that now. Uh, we've got a group called War Flags so make like like all like the, the the flags and that for the stadium, the big drapes and stuff. Like they've stopped going now to lessen the atmosphere. But yeah, we have started to boycott the season before last, especially. I remember the first game of the season was against Arsenal. We had a mass boycott. I know dozens of people that gave up season tickets. I know one guy who comes on our channel regularly who still pays monthly for the season ticket because he took out the 10-year ten, 10 deal who hasn't gone to a game in about a year and a half but still pays for his ticket just to keep the seats empty to try and just make it look like we're doing something about this. Like, it has kind of seemed like it is a bit of a waste of time at, at times because like, like, I just don't think Mike actually cares anymore. Like He's, he's made with suffer for long enough. It's kind of like almost... Like he enjoys it. I think by us not going, he doesn't really care. I think the best thing that could have happened for Newcastle, which is a, a, a horrible thing to say, is lockdown. Because that's what's been hitting him hardest. Right. Like obviously he's high, he's, yeah, his high street businesses have been suffering. He's had 52,000 people not going week in, week out. So I think that's why he was so inclined to sell to the Saudis because he just needed a quick 300, 350 million. So, yeah, we've been trying. We've been really, really trying, protesting outside the ground every game, flags, cancelling tickets. But it, honestly, it has seemed like a little bit a little bit pointless because I think he's, he's just comfortable. He's not really that bad. It must be so difficult, though, because they're your club, aren't they? And going mm-hmm. every week, that, that's the, the working-class game and mm-hmm. having these owners that are in the Premier League and elsewhere now taking that away from something that you love going every other yeah. Saturday to your team. It is heartbreaking to hear. Um, so just trying to put myself in your shoes again as a Newcastle fan. You know, you boys must be striving for a trophy now, even if it's just, you know, the League Cup or the FA Cup or something like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. 
very similar to Everton in that sense. And um, it's been a long time, really, for such a massive club to have such a trophy drought, I suppose. Has there been a time since you've been following the team that you think, you know, we've got, we've got a chance here that we, we might bring some silverware home? Not seriously. I think in particularly like the, the Bobby Robson days, like 15 to 20 years ago, there was every chance we could win an FA Cup or a, a League Cup, just like anyone else, really. We wouldn't write ourselves off, I think, against the likes of a Liverpool, a, a Chelsea and Arsenal. I think we could have even gone there. Like, like teams have won the domestic cups in the past, like, like Portsmouth and, and teams like that. Like you can never write yourself off from a domestic cup. But we have over the last 10, 15 years, we haven't had any ambition of getting to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and the League Cup for the first time. Uh, well, this season and last season with the FA Cup for the first time in 15 years. So, yeah, we're, the championship season is the only season where we're, we're pretty much guaranteed silver. Where I think that's the only time we're actually confident of winning something. But uh, we got the back-to-back FA Cup finals in 98 and 99, and that was the last time we got to a final, 1999. But yeah, since then, it's just to keep your fingers crossed. Hopefully we can go somewhere now it's just kind of hoping for a cup run that's what all we've been looking for for the last 10-15 years after failure to get even a quarter final in 15 years all we want is just to push on and just do well in the cup because it kind of seems like managers in the past have just not really been that bothered putting out a b-side against like league two teams and falling out so yeah all we want now is just just a, a Wembley day just a semi-final or something just something to cheer about like yeah that's all we really want at the minute I kind of always think back to the uh, the Pardew team that you had. You pushing top four and had Denver Bar. Yeah. Cissé was another one, wasn't he? Uh-huh. Did you not even think at that time that, you know, you might start to build something? Not really. No. Like, like that, that's probably the best season it has been for, well, certainly in the Mike Ashley era, first time we actually broke almost top 10, I think. It's definitely the highest we've been. I think we finished fifth that season. We started really, really well. I think we were top in the first few weeks. I don't think we lost a game until about November. We were flying high, but with Mike Ashley as the owner and Alan Pardew as the manager, it's never going to last. Like It was just a one-off season. We knew we were never going to... We are hoping we would maintain top four. We knew that winning the league was never really a realistic target. But yeah, it's what comes the few seasons after. And that is a bit of a sad thing about us in the Mike Ashley era that that has been our best season under Alan Pardew. And it was only a year or two later we were protesting outside the ground to get him out. Like yeah. People were holding banners saying Pardew out. We were protesting. We were like bottom of the league. So yeah. that's how bad it, it has been. Like, yeah, like he, he done great. He, he won uh, manager of the year that year, Pardew. So yeah, fair play to him. We did have a very, very good year under him. Bar and Cissé were on fire. The likes of Kabai and uh, Ben Arthur. We had a really, really good team. But... Yeah, it was, it was never going to last. We needed a better manager and a better owner with a bit more ambition. So you touched on uh, when you went down to the championship. As a fan, what, what was that like? If you can kind of try and explain it in as many words. It was a cross between heartbreaking and absolutely brilliant because we're winning. <laughs> regularly so it was it was it was horrible being down there like we didn't want to be there like like that's when I gave up my season ticket I well, it was 2010 it was the 0910 season that we got relegated first time I had a season ticket up until that point 
But at that age, I was like 16, 17, and I was more interested in like going out on a Saturday with my friends, having fun, instead of going to see like Scunthorpe and Plymouth. You know what I mean, like coming from the likes of Liverpool, saying big teams to like no disrespect to teams like that, but yeah, we didn't want to play them, we didn't want to be down there. Like, I, I don't actually think I went actually. Thinking back to it, I might be wrong, but in the two seasons we've spent in the championship in the last 10 years, I don't think I actually went to one game. I just didn't really have any interest. Like, we were winning. If we were on TV, I would watch we and support we, of course. And yeah, we won both seasons, top of the league, quite comfortably the first time round, especially. Uh, yeah, it was great to win. Like, kind of having that buzz back. Like, that's probably when St. James's has probably been as lively as it's been, to be fair. Like, yeah. winning regularly. It, it was brilliant, but we didn't want to be there. The quicker we could come back to being 17th in the Premier League, the better. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, finally, the podcast is centred around going the match. So, with every podcast we're doing, I want to end by asking what your top three favourite matches you've been to. So, it doesn't have to be based on the 90 minutes itself. It can be something that's Happened during the day or for whatever reason? Away days. Whatever you want, no, partic- no particular order. Ooh, uh, I'll, I'll go with the one I mentioned before, Tottenham. That was, that was probably my favourite today. I said that'll be hard to beat. Like the sun, the unexpected win, the, the beautiful new stadium. That was, that, that was incredible. That's been one of my favourite days as a fan in a, a long, long time. Uh, the game... The last game of the season, two seasons ago, were played away to Fulham when Fulham were already relegated. I think they were, were long down by the last game of the season came. So we went down there and we got there the night before and we did a, a Thames cruise. There was like a boat party down the, down the Thames before the game. So we were on the boat. Like it was the Geordie Armada. We were, just, we were just all getting pissed from like nine o'clock in the morning. But that was another, that was another brilliant day. If that was raining, you would imagine that being horrendous, but it was scorching. I got sunburned. I've got ginger skin. I got burnt to a crisp on the boat. <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely brilliant. And we, yeah, we went down to Craven Cottage and we won 4-0. Brilliant performance. And that was also the last game for Rafa Benitez, for Solomon Rondon, for Ayose Perez, Mo Diame. So it was... It was quite emotional at the end of the game, to be fair, like because we were in there and obviously being the last game of the season, all the players were coming towards you, applauding you, thank you for coming, thank you for supporting with this season. And we just knew that a handful of them weren't going to be there next season, particularly Rafa. So it was actually, it was actually quite emotional. I don't know if it's because we're about nine pints deep, but it was, it, was a, it was a brilliant, brilliant day all around. So yeah, that's, that's up there, almost tied with the Tottenham game. Uh, We've had a couple as well, like particularly away days. Like I think you enjoy most St James's games. Like, but yeah, a couple of years ago we went to uh, Old Trafford away, and we were two 0 up in ten minutes. Like that doesn't happen very often <laughs> away at Old Trafford. The team we had out was a poor team as well, and we absolutely battered them in the first ten minutes, two 0 up. Seeing that through to half time, everyone going crazy in the concourse at half time. And we held on to the 2-0 lead up until about 70 minutes and then eventually lost the game 3-2. So <laughs> the, the results could have been better, but the first 70 minutes were amazing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think one of the best atmospheres, the, the short-term atmosphere I've ever experienced as a Newcastle fan was last season away to Everton. Uh, Everton's a good ground for me. We, we've got friends down there that live on Goodison Road, literally a stone's throw away from Goodison. So... It's yeah. always a, a good away day for us there, personally. But uh, 
it was a shocking game for us. We're 2-0 down. Everton were comfortable, took the foot off the pedal, probably could have scored a third if they wanted to. But, yeah, like, like the fans were starting to leave, both Everton and Newcastle fans. <laughs> it, was, it was about, we're into the 93rd minute and we pulled off a 90-second comeback. Finished the game 2-2, if you remember that. Yeah, I did. Like, like, like that, like, despite being a shocking game, saying no shots on target for 93 minutes, you can imagine travelling down to Liverpool to watch that. It was absolute dross. But when the game's at 93 minutes and you're 2-0 down, you don't expect a thing, do you? But to come back and to score two goals in 90 seconds, that atmosphere was probably the best I've ever experienced as a fan. So yeah, that's that's got to be that'll be hard to beat in terms of a ninety-second atmosphere. You'll never get that again. So, yeah, that was that was incredible. That I'll never forget that. So I don't think there's a better way to finish the podcast than talking about an Everton meltdown. <laughs> Jordan Pickford midget arms. We we'll love it. We we'll love it. <laughs> so just before you go, mate, just a massive thank you for giving up your time. I really enjoyed it, mate. Thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem, mate. Thank you for having me. If you haven't already, please subscribe follow and share, and of course, leave a five-star rating.